0: Seek the Lord's favor on His word before we go to it. Heavenly Father, we want to ask that we would receive your teachings from the scriptures in such a way so that we might be able to respond in kind. May what's being proclaimed reflect what is being read. And in the reading and in the proclamation and in the receiving of your word, may it all be to your praise. Uh, For such is our calling in Christ, and a good calling it is. May your Spirit so work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting closer and closer, congregation, to our celebration of Good Friday and Easter. And with that, I'm going to be taking a look at some different passages in some of the Gospels. Actually, Mark, Luke, and John over the course of the next few weeks, Lord willing. And one of them is keeping us in the Gospel of Luke. We have been looking in Luke for a while, but we're staying there. And we're looking at Luke 23:26 to 34 this morning as we take up a few sermons, Lord willing, in the next few weeks that lead us to our, our special celebrations of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So Luke 23, verses 26 to 34. Here's what God's word says to us there. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women, who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. As far as we're going to read from God's word, indeed, we pray that it may be a blessing for us having heard it and as we have it ministered to us this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one highlight, a very remarkable one that we see when we read the gospel accounts about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, is how his righteousness persists. It persistently shines through those accounts. And when you think about crucifixion as being something that's dealing with those who are cursed, the idea that the righteousness of Christ persists as he is getting led to the cross and as he endorsed the cross is tremendously A remarkable, a remarkable thought. Uh, The Gospel of of Luke, of course, is no exception to this in in taking up that theme of righteousness. Uh, And we're going to be taking a look at how that righteousness reveals itself in in our passage this morning uh, with Jesus, the righteous servant of the Lord, on the way to the cross and then on the cross, those are two things that we'll be looking at from this passage. Him on the way to the cross and how that righteousness is revealed there, but then also when he's on the cross and how the righteousness is revealed there. So first of all, how that righteousness of Jesus is displayed on the way to the cross. Now on his way to the cross, if you see that with your Bibles, uh, we see two distinct contrasting episodes, and yet they speak to our first point here. On the one hand, we have a man from a faraway country. His name is Simon of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene is was in eastern Libya, and that was about 800 miles away. And this Simon of Cyrene, of course, we know him as the one who is compelled to, Uh, to follow Jesus with his cross. On the other hand, in a real contrast, right after that, we hear about a number of local women whom Jesus calls daughters of Jerusalem. you got a single man here from a faraway country, and now you have several women locally, known as Daughters of Jerusalem. And they're also following Jesus, but they are not compelled to do it. In both those situations, though, we can see the righteousness of Jesus standing out. We're going to get into that a little bit more. So let's think, first of all, about Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene is presumed To be the person that takes over for the exhausted Jesus who can no longer carry the cross. I think that tends to be the presumption. Now there could be some truth to that, uh, given what he's been enduring, but we never read explicitly anywhere in all of Scripture that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus because Jesus was exhausted. It's not in the text. Now, if Jesus was exhausted, it's quite an outstanding feat on his part that he's also able to carry on with a very confident and remarkable teaching on judgment with the daughters of Jerusalem that follow. In all three of the Gospels, besides John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Simon is mentioned as the one who bears the cross of Jesus. And in all three of those Gospels, Jesus teaches about the need for his followers to bear one's cross. Every one of them. Now that can't be coincidence. Especially when we read in our passage that Luke makes note that Simon of Cyrene followed after Jesus as they headed to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now it would appear that the reason that Simon is mentioned is not so much to to underscore how tired Jesus was. As he is mentioned here, again, not not to underscore that, but as he is mentioned as a reminder of where Jesus is heading and where his disciples in turn follow In each gospel account, Simon is mentioned as one who is compelled to carry the cross. He's compelled to do this. It's not something that he volunteered to do. He was compelled to do it. There was no one who was following Christ by way of cross-bearing willingly. And that has to tell us something about the uniqueness of Christ's path to the cross. After all, Peter had said in Luke twenty-two, thirty-three, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Well, that didn't happen. There was no one who was willing to bear their cross willingly to follow Christ. No one. Nor was there anyone who is able to tread the path that Jesus had to go to the cross. The righteous, suffering, willing servant, he would do so, he would willingly walk this path alone. Nevertheless, since in all of these Gospels Jesus taught about the need to follow him by cross-bearing, we shouldn't come away from this passage without the reminder and the teaching that while Jesus certainly did uniquely and self-sacrificially atone for his people. Those who are called to follow him are called to reflect him in sacrificial service, total devotion to him, even if it means giving one's life for him. His suffering, his crucifixion, his righteousness is to be worth that much to us. In view of God's mercy, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God because this is your spiritual worship. That's the devotion to which you and I are called, not compulsively, but willingly, even as we confess or are called to confess or when we confess that such was the devotion on an altogether infinite plane that Jesus exercised on our behalf. We considered then the man who followed Christ here. But how about the women who followed Christ? Not from far away. But as local daughters of Jerusalem, along with, we read in our passage here, a great multitude of people. And while there was such a thing as professional mourners, it would seem at that time, you could hire people to cry for you at a death. It would seem that to take the text at faith's value, these mourners were lamenting because they sensed the injustice of what was happening and were genuinely saddened and were genuinely weeping for Jesus. And that mourning underlines again the righteousness of this suffering servant of the Lord. But it goes beyond that. Because Jesus tells them not to weep for him. Don't weep for me. But weep for yourselves. And and here again you see Christ's great love. He isn't concerned about himself. But for these mourners. It's of course that spirit that has sent him to earth and to Golgotha in the first place. Because from where Jesus is standing, there's there's greater sadness forthcoming. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you think this is bad, then you just wait until you see the judgment that occurs because of this. And then there'll be a, a truly reason for mourning. That would be the time of judgment upon Jerusalem, which is why Jesus speaks of these women as daughters of Jerusalem. Now most of the time we understand in Scripture that children conceived and children born are a blessing, right? You, you wouldn't hear in the Scriptures, contrary to our culture, uh, you wouldn't hear about having children as being a curse, an inconvenience. No, you'd see it as a gift from God and a blessing. right? You you wouldn't expect to hear what we hear in our text here, where it it, it says to us, uh, For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. You never hear that in Scripture. Because children born are a blessing. But that would not be the case in this dire time that's upcoming. We hear in Scripture that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Just though he is. God the Son is no different. He knows that judgment and condemnation are sad times. They are. But they're just times. And the judgment that was coming was fitting for the crime. It would underscore the very injustice that these women are crying about. Imposed upon Jesus crucified, though the Lord of glory who has done nothing wrong. But as Jesus would say, if they do these things when the wood is green, what's going to happen when it's dry? In other words, If Jesus was going to be condemned, though innocent, what's going to happen to Jerusalem in condemnation because of the guilt of rejecting Jesus? If they do that when the wood's green, what's going to happen when it's dry? And if we think that's bad, what about others? What about those who fail to appreciate Christ today as the risen, righteous, reigning Savior and King of His people and of the world? What what lies ahead for such people who would ignore such a great Savior and King who's the one that makes life worth living, makes what we do matter, Those will indeed be days of weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternally and hellishly, sad days that lie ahead for some. Such hell lies ahead for those who don't accept the Christ as the righteous servant of the Lord and Savior of his people and and their righteous Lord and Savior. For the many who are being taught today that hell doesn't exist? Passages like this one teach us there's consequences for not accepting Jesus Christ, aren't there? Don't weep for me. Weep for them, says Jesus. Because think about who he is and think what happens when people don't want to and believingly find themselves in him. So Christ's righteousness finds itself on the way to the cross, but it also finds itself on the cross. And we look briefly at three things here, and that's in the latter portion of this passage. Notice briefly those three things. He's he's numbered among the transgressors. He intercedes for the transgressors. And he's contrasted with the transgressors. He intercedes for the transgressors, he's contrasted with and he's numbered among the transgressors. (laughs) So first he's numbered among the transgressors. And you notice how the text lays this out for us. Two others, who were criminals, our passage says, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. <coughs> now is this not even as we hear of the righteous servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53? Partly why I called this the sermon that I did, the righteous servant, further reveal. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Where Jesus was crucified, that's where we belonged. He didn't deserve curse and shame. That's what he receives here. But he didn't deserve it. But we did. And yet, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's to be our confession, isn't it? It's not the three criminals that are on the crosses. It is Jesus in the midst of the criminals. The two on either side are receiving what they deserve. They deserve the curse of God as transgressors. Even one of the criminals can later to understand that, as we know. We're under the same sentence of condemnation, for we are receiving the due reward for our sin, but this man has done what? He's done nothing wrong. Jesus is not bearing the curse for his transgression. He's the righteous one who is bearing the curse of transgression as one one numbered among the transgressors. And his central cross, in the midst of the three, emphasizes the superlative nature of his atoning work. What all humanity deserves, he bears for the sake of his people. So that by God's grace, we can make the confession: For our sake, he made him to be no be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what his centrality among the transgressors signified. He took the curse for his people. And only he could do it as the righteous servant of the Lord and Savior of his people. We have to see ourselves at the right or left of Christ as the transgressors who deserve God's curse, if we are ever going to appreciate by faith the righteous Christ as the one who bore that curse for us, as one who became sin for his people. But we also have to see on the cross, right, that he interceded for the transgressors. Father, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That reminds us, again, of Isaiah 53. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There could be no intercession such as this without a crucified Christ. It is the crucified Christ who makes this intercession. Without his sacrifice, without the shedding of his blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Such a a request would be moot. In this first word on the cross, it is forgiveness that takes first place. That's a blessing. Which is most appropriate for what Jesus has come to do on that cross. How these words pronounce the depth of Christ's sacrificial love, that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, and that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here Jesus practices what he preaches in Luke six twenty-seven to 36, about loving one's enemies. That's what he does. How truly righteous and loving is the Savior whose accomplishment provides forgiveness of sin. What a a chasm between the two, huh? The sinners worthy of death and the righteous one who takes his death for them. You can't find a more expansive kind of love and love for one's enemies than that of Christ. We hear from the Lord Jesus. That sin is ignorance. They know not what they do. Sin is many things. It's arrogance. It's transgression. It's trespass. It's unholy. It's disobedience. But it's also ignorance. It's foolishness. Mankind in his spiritual ignorance sins. And ignorance raises its ugly head in no greater way than when people Reject God and His Christ. Consequences for that include the fall of Jerusalem in 8070, but also throughout people's lives here on earth who continue spiritual ignorance. God is not mine. What you sow, you reap. There are eternal consequences for rejecting God and His Christ. But Jesus shows himself on the cross as the great high priest of his people and the great high priest of God and the great intercessor and the great mediator who is offering his prayers and offering himself to his father so that forgiveness can be found. And who knows that there's forgiveness to be found? The ignorance is parted in Christ. It's replaced with God's light and His Spirit so we can come away from our ignorance, right? And we we confess that, right? To know our sin. To know the misery of our sin. To know the ignorance of our sin. And then to come to know our salvation from sin in Jesus. And come to know how I am to thank God every moment, every part of me for that deliverance. So I go out of ignorance into knowledge. I go out of foolishness into wisdom. Jesus' intercessory prayer has been answered often. Unto the salvation of many people. Unto the forgiveness of many sins. Because he's interceded for transgressors. And not only by way of prayer, but because of his work on the cross. Where he reveals most vividly his righteousness. It's in Christ that we confess our ignorance seek our forgiveness before God. One last thing to note is the contrast to the transgressors. You notice here at the very end of our passage that the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' clothing. And see, they view chance, it's a remarkable thing, right? They view chance and fate as their providers. And chance and fate govern their lives. They they live in the world of chance, not in the world of God's providence. And what they value, right? Because they're all there, and they all know what they want. They all know what matters. They're all competing. Or what covers their bodies? That's what they care about, and you know that's what our world does. You go out in the world. I mean, what are the things that that even bug you, right? When you see people again talking about, a, you know, this, uh, you know, picking your gender stuff. What do people do? They cover themselves because what matters is what covers themselves, and so that's how they identify themselves. So if I dress like a man, I'm a man. If I dress like a woman, I'm a woman. Of course, that's not the only thing that causes people to stress on what they look like on the outside. Right? Appearance is everything. Substance is nothing. They're not looking at a change of heart. Just a change of clothes. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. So says Psalm 22, 16 and 17. What matters is the outside. What matters is appearances. And what a contrast to Jesus Christ, because he has no clothes. He has no clothes. He hangs naked on the cross, by the will of God, not by chance. Not by the lot, but by the will of God. And it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He is put up to grief. But he hung there naked so we might be clothed. Not, not in earthly apparel. Eh, we're not stressing that. But through faith in Christ, the robes of His righteousness were made right with God. We're, we're not only forgiven of our sin, that's not just taken away, but we've also received the righteousness of God. And that way we can say like Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I can't hold it back. Right? Worship is viewed for me. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. Because what has he done? He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's what matters. That's what matters. To be adorned with his righteousness so we can be devoted to praising. That's what matters. None of this other garbage. This is what matters. Because as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's what matters. Christ takes our shame so we might find our glory. is Christ. And that's to be our confession. And that's what we're supposed to be living for. And that's what matters. And that's to be priority. Devotion? Carrying your cross? Well, no wonder when you know that your sin has been taken away and the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And glories await. And the life that I get to live devotedly for Christ is the only one that matters. That's good news, isn't it? And that's the good news for our lives, when that's our profession of Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, it was good to be able to take a moment to look to your word again this morning, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and may we take joy in what the righteous servant came to accomplish for us. And may we also take heed, Lord, at the consequences for not appreciating this Christ as he deserves. Oh, he deserves it. When we've come to know that he's taken our sin away, made us right with God. Father, may we find ourselves bearing our crosses and following him because he's accomplished all that we never could for ourselves. We ask that you'd hear us.